The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. What I thought I'd talk about tonight um, is the idea of new beginnings. And what I'd like to do is to explore this idea with you. Um, I'll share some thoughts that I have, and then we can have some discussion. So it's, as we've already acknowledged, coming to the end of this year, 2008. Only a couple more days, and it will be a new year. And this seems to be the time when we tend to think about new beginnings. Somehow it seems that we all sort of carry this maybe sense of optimism or hope that as we turn the page in the calendar from 2008 to 2009, that things will change. Many people are going to be very happy to see 2008 end and a new year, 2009, begin. Um, But the reality is we don't know what the new year will bring. It may not be better. It may, in fact, be worse. Or it may stay the same. We really don't know. But it's interesting that we have this sense that with a new year, a new beginning, um, things will be fresh. Things will be new. Things will be somehow at least different and hopefully better. This is also, uh, at least a week ago, the time of the winter solstice. This is the time when we begin to move from the dark back into the light. The winter solstice marks, as you all know, the shortest day, the longest night. And then it begins very slowly, um, gradually, to have longer days, more daylight, and less darkness. So this can be a time often when people celebrate this movement from the dark into the light. And often there are rituals that involve things like um, maybe writing on a piece of paper uh, what you consider the dark, either for yourself or for the world, some, something you want to change for yourself or something uh, in the world, violence, war, whatever, frequently people list things like that, that they want to let go of. And frequently there are rituals of crumpling up these pieces of paper or literally burning them as a way of letting go of the dark and welcoming or allowing in the light. I think almost every culture has some form of celebration of light at this time of year, 
In India, it's Diwali, Festival of the Light. Um, certainly for us in this country, it's uh, the Christmas lights, candles. In uh, Scandinavia, there's the Santa Lucia Festival. Uh, Santa Lucia wears a crown of five candles. In the Jewish tradition, there's the menorah, lighting the candle each night to commemorate the, uh, the lasting of the oil for eight days. And in more earth-based traditions, they may celebrate with fire. Something to acknowledge the light and the hope of the light returning. In Buddhist practice, we see it just a little bit differently. We talk about shining the light on the darkness, shining the light of awareness, not pushing away the dark or necessarily getting rid of it, resisting it, or denying it, but more seeing it, seeing it more clearly with the light. In fact, it's a time of self-reflection, a time of turning inward and really seeing ourselves more clearly with a very accepting attitude. So we're not about turning away from the dark or getting rid of the dark, um, but accepting the dark, whatever that might be. The dark can be the shadow, can be the unacknowledged part of ourselves, parts of ourselves. That we shine awareness on, we see very clearly, but not with a resistance not with the idea of turning away from it or pushing it away, but accepting it, accepting it fully as part of who we are and part of what we need for our growth and for our healing. In some traditions, They talk about wiping the slate clean. Sometimes this is done with confession, perhaps like in the Catholic Church or again in the Jewish tradition, there are rituals of confession. And then it's considered the slate is clean. And um, people move forward from that. Again, in the Buddhist tradition, we see it just a little bit differently. We're not trying to wipe the slate clean. We can't, in fact, wipe it clean. The slate, the past, is part of us. And again, what we want to do is acknowledge it, uh, embrace it, we might say. See it as part of ourselves. And see how we can perhaps learn from it, how we can use it, Uh, We incorporate it as part and parcel of who we are. And again, not turning away from it. There's no sense of shame 
or sense of sin in the Buddhist tradition. It can be important to acknowledge to ourselves and to someone else, often to a teacher, um, our responsibility or uh, any sense or any um, knowing of wrongdoing that we have done. But again, not in a way to wipe it all away, but to acknowledge it, to learn from it, to grow from it. In this way, uh, we use it. It is part and parcel of not only who we are, but what we have to contribute and how we grow. So this has certainly been a practice for me. There have been times I have wanted to turn away from something, often something I felt, shame or embarrassment or some criticism. Um, As you all know, it doesn't feel good, right? It makes me kind of shudder. And so I have wanted to turn away. No, I didn't really feel that. No, I didn't really do that. No, I didn't really say that. And I've had to remind myself over and over, yes, this too, this too. Allow myself to feel it fully. And, of course, when we do that, it does, in general, diminish it. Maybe not right away. Maybe at first it makes it a bit more intense. But then with that openness to it and that feeling, feeling it fully, it does begin to diminish. But in that way, we aren't resisting it. We aren't turning away from it. We are acknowledging it fully and letting it dissipate on its own. Also, as I've said, seeing how we might use what we have thought was an unacceptable part of ourselves, Uh, whatever that might be, something that we've done or something that we feel uh, that we think is not acceptable, we make it acceptable as part of ourselves. So, new beginning implies an ending. As we move into the new year, there's an ending of the old year. As we move from the dark into the light, there's an ending of the darkness. As we move from night to day, there's an ending of the night and a beginning of the day. So I want to read you a short poem from Maddie Stepanek. I don't know if any of you remember Maddie. Maddie was a young boy with a very rare form of muscular dystrophy. Um, Many of us first knew of him through Oprah. And he wrote several books. This was his first, Journey Through Heart Songs. A very inspiring little boy. A very old soul in um, a very 
difficult body. He died a couple of years ago following the deaths of three of his younger siblings who all died at like two, four, six, and Maddie lived to be 13, which was a very long time. So he called this crystal celebration. Sometimes sunrise is like a heavenly crystal ball. Every day, in the little bit of time between night and day, the angels look at the earth to see how things have been and to see how things are going and to see how things will be. The sky changes from dark into angel whites and angel golds. The blackness of trees starts to glow with pinks and purples and oranges from their hearts. And during each dawn, all the angels gather up and have a celebration. And sometimes you can even watch and join them in the celebrating. Just look out into the sunrise, then jump into your own heart, float into the air like in a dream, and pray with love and praise and thank yous for your life, for your spirit, for your sunrise, and for being a part of this heavenly crystal ball. Very poetic young man. He wrote lots and lots of poems. So we can see each day as a new beginning. And there's a freshness, um, an aliveness in the morning. I very much enjoy morning time. I wake up refreshed and there's that sense of wonder of what what the day will bring. Then there's the newness of moving from winter to spring. For many of us spring is a very wonderful time of year. There's the newness, the freshness, the new growth, new life, and again that sense of of new birth, of new awakening. Um, After coming through the long, maybe dark and cold winter into the warmth, um, the beginning longer days, the sunlight, and that that new green, you know, the the uh, that very vibrant, alive green of new growth. It can be a wonderful, wonderful time of new life, of new beginning. May Sarton wrote a poem called Kali, and I'll read just a little bit. Help us to be the always hopeful gardeners of the spirit who know that without darkness, nothing comes to birth. As without light, nothing flowers. Both are essential. So a reminder to us that the dark, the cold, is as important as the light as the warmth, that out of the dark comes the new light, comes the new growth. 
So not to push it aside, but to accept the dark as well as the light as part of the seasons of our life. As part of the value of both, of both the dark and the light. So there are many ways to see new beginnings. They're everywhere. And letting go of the old, whatever that might be, the year or a habit or something that's painful, something that's difficult, we start fresh. We start anew. But we must be careful because that sense of new beginning can be a little bit of a trap. Such as when we say something so mundane as, oh yeah, I'll start my diet on January 2nd. And in effect, what we're saying is, until then, I will eat what I want to. (laughs) And maybe more, maybe indulge. Or the same with giving up uh, a bad habit or even an addiction. It's so easy to say, you know, I'll stop drinking tomorrow. Uh, I'll stop drinking the day after Christmas or the day after New Year or whatever. And this can just be a way of putting whatever we're wanting to do, changing whatever we're wanting to change, into the future. It's not a commitment to do it right now. And the reality is, if we really want to change something, to, to make a new commitment, to do something different, the time to do it is right now. That's the only time, actually. Otherwise, it's just an idea. It's just a thought. It's not reality, and more than likely, it won't come to be. Just like all the New Year's resolutions, right? New Year's is a time of making new resolutions. But what happens? By February, they're gone. They're not with us any longer. They're not happening. So important to remind ourselves that the only time to start is right now. Again, this is where our Buddhist understanding is so important. We recognize that the only time that there is, that there ever is, is right now. The past, the future are both just concepts, just ideas. The past is gone, the future is not here yet. So they're just ideas. The only time there ever is, is right now. And it's not now, and then now, and then now, and then now. It's just now. That's all. That's all there is. So... The time for anything is always and only right now. So this suggests that our idea of new beginnings is kind of a paradox. In a way, on a relative level, we could say 
Yes, there are new beginnings. There's new years, there's new days, there's new seasons, there's new uh, every moment, right? Every moment can be a new moment. And if we use that wisely, then it can be helpful. But on another level, on the ultimate level, there is no new beginning. There is no there is no New Year's Eve, as Gill likes to say. Nature doesn't know that it's New Year's Eve. Nature doesn't know that there's a new year. It's a, another night moving into another day. Um, so it can be a valuable concept. It can also get in our way and important that we have the understanding that it is just a concept that in reality there is only the now but it can be used wisely and one of the ways that I see it being used wisely right now is talking about New beginnings with a new year and a new administration. Yesterday, I was involved in a uh, small meeting in downtown San Jose, put together by the transition team, encouraging people, um, citizens, uh, grassroots people, just anyone interested, to come and gather in small groups and talk about what they see for the future, what they would like for this new administration. And there were something like 1,400 meetings being held between December 15th and December 31st um, with different topics. The one I went to happened to be on health care, which is important to me. And there was quite a uh, format, quite a list of questions, and um, uh, the person that was facilitating took very careful notes and assured us that it would all go back to the transition team. This seems to be a valuable way of seeing new beginnings and encouraging us, all of us, to be a part of this participatory democracy because that's the only way for us to keep it a democracy. So along with that, there's um, going to be a very large interfaith gathering in San Jose on the 19th of January, the night before the inauguration and also on Martin Luther King Day. And the flyer uh, is titled, New Beginnings, Building a Community of Hope. And again, it's a way of um, many faith traditions coming together to uh, acknowledge our support, our caring for a new administration and um, hope for the future. Hope is a tricky word. We often don't use it in Buddhist practice because it can imply a lack, 
something missing, if we're hoping for something that implies that there's something missing, that there is a lack. Nevertheless, it is one of those words that we do use. And as I said, it's used in the title, Building a Community of Hope. And I read today that uh, the New York Times apparently published an article in which it talked about a flood of hope coming over the country at this time. So, then reminding ourselves or remembering that the goal of our practice is awakening, complete awakening, complete end of suffering. This is why we practice. This is why the Buddha taught. He didn't teach so that we could feel a little bit better, get a little more money, or a few more friends, or more opportunities. He taught for 45 years to help us to see how we could come to the complete end of suffering, how we could completely wake up. Some of us recently have been reading a book, When Fear Falls Away, and heard the author, Jan Frazier, speak earlier this month. And she writes about her own awakening. But now I see the truth of what the sages have said. That realization is actually a beginning, the start of authentic life. There has been a death of a kind, a necessary end preceding a new beginning. A door has opened. So there it is. The new beginning. Awareness, awakeness as a new beginning, as opening the door to a more authentic life. She also talks about this being human and that with awakening, we don't move beyond being human, but becoming more fully human by uh, embodying our awakeness and living our awakeness as human beings because that's, of course, what we are. That's what we have. And that's how we use our awakeness. So, again, the paradox that with awakening, everything changes and Nothing changes. The facts, the reality, remain the same. But our perspective is totally different. So in that sense, everything is new. 
Everything is fresh. Everything is different. So if we can hold this perception of a new beginning, an open mind or beginner's mind, as Suzuki Roshi said, the mind that holds all possibilities, is open to whatever possibility. And at the same time, recognize that there is only now. That whatever we do, we do it now. And only now. Not in the future, but now. So we have a few minutes for some discussion. Um, Somebody like to share something? Mm-hmm. How does one plan for the future in a, in a realistic and kind way and, and still be progressive and focus on the now as well, simultaneously? That is my question. Okay, uh, and I'm not sure what you mean by and be progressive? Because to me the future is about being progressive, having a plan, moving forward, growing, and also being in the now simultaneously. How does one accomplish both tasks? (laughs) Good question. Thank you. Um, A couple of things come to mind. Thich Nhat Hanh says, the way to take care of the future is take care of the present moment. Um, Of course, in this world, we do need to make plans. We make plans in the now, in the moment. The trick, I think, in our practice is to not be attached to those plans so that when necessary... You know, we make plans. We have to, if we're going to go to uh, an event, often we have to um, get tickets ahead of time. So that means we have to plan. If we're going to travel, if we're going to take uh, an airline or a train or whatever, um, we most often have to get tickets ahead of time. So we do have to make some plans for the future. However, then we try not to be too attached to them so that when they change, which of course they can and will, um, we can more readily let go. And we can also see if we're constantly planning for the future, we might take a look at that. What is that about What is the need to be constantly planning for the future? Some planning, of course, is necessary. But if we're overly planning, what is that about? Sometimes it's about control. I know for me, often it is. I think if I plan, if I have everything lined up, then I'm in control. And I can predict how things are going to happen. Of course, it's not true. It doesn't happen that way. But that's the mistaken idea. 
Sometimes planning can cover an emotion, anxiety, or fear, or concern. So it can be very useful to explore our planning and see what is beneath it. What is, what is this planning about? So there's both. The necessity of planning. I think what's, what's really funny is <laughs> Vipassana teachers <laughs> are often planning a year, two, three ahead for retreats and events and etc. Um, it's just part of the way our world is right now. So it is necessary to plan. But understanding that those plans change and not being so terribly upset when they do change. Does that answer? Okay. Anybody else? Comments about new beginnings? Maybe your own experience or thoughts? Or endings? I'm a little reluctant to share this because I haven't had time to think about it very much, but I was thinking about, you know, I'm bumbling along through my life and I'm sort of doing stuff as it comes along and then I have an awareness, you know, that there's something lacking or that I need to do something different or I want to move in a different direction, but I can't make it move right right away, you know. It's something that comes to me and there's a time when I... I have the awareness in the moment that things that I'd like things to be different, but I can't make them happen right away because it takes time. You know, I'm I've neglected a friendship or whatever. You know, I haven't spent whatever, and so there's a situation where I plan. I I put plans in in a, into motion that that identifies and takes care of something that came to me, but if I don't. If I don't plan for it, it's not going to happen. So the awareness doesn't mm-hmm. do me any good. That's why I was thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that the planning actually is a way of putting it into action. It's part of the awareness. The planning is part. It has to be a part of the awareness that comes in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. What I found so interesting about this as I explored it um, is that paradox that that seeing new beginnings can be really helpful. As long as we hold and understand that there really is only the now. That whatever happens or whatever we're doing happens now and that in reality a new beginning is an idea and if it's helpful for us to see something that way then great 
But if we use it as a way of putting off something, then it may not be so helpful. Other comments? Yes? What is the relationship between awareness and, and wisdom? Because um, you're speaking about making New, New Year's resolutions. It implies you're learning from the past. You know, there's the saying, well, first of all, several sayings. Uh, those who don't learn from the past or remember the past are doomed to repeat it. And then the other quote is, uh, uh, the better part of wisdom is experience and the better part of experience is having done it the wrong way. So, and you mentioned an old soul there. So, of course, we know age doesn't necessarily lead to wisdom. So what is the dynamic between awareness and wisdom and remembering the past? <laughs> learning, learning from the past, that's my point. Learning is typically, we learn from the past. Though. Awareness, of course, is um, the central part of our practice. And awareness leads to wisdom. Without awareness, um, we can do the same thing over and over and over again and not see the results of it, number one, and so not learn or grow from it. We've all done that, right? We've all repeated things over and over without the awareness not recognizing the effect that what we're doing is having or, or the effect we might be having on whatever it is. So, um, so awareness is key. And awareness of the past, um, learning from the past, is seeing clearly what has happened. What comes to my mind um, and I've mentioned it before, is the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa that has been so highly successful. And the way it operated was that those that had committed even horrendous crimes during apartheid, if they came to the commission and acknowledged what they had done, truthfully, fully, and sincerely, then they were not imprisoned. They were not punished. But it had to be completely, it had to be fully, and the commission had to see that it was honest, that this was really true. It seems to me this is one way of learning from the past. Um, often it seems that we don't learn, that uh, things happen, and whether it's we as a country or we as individuals, we as groups, we tend to think that won't happen again or that couldn't happen again. Something like, say, the Holocaust, that we think that could never happen here or that would never happen again. Without awareness and awareness every step, it could happen again. It could easily happen again. So that awareness, that seeing clearly, that being mindful 
of what is happening every step of the way, I think, is the only way that we can learn from our mistakes or learn from the past. Does that help? Uh, Maybe one more. We just have another minute. Okay, well, let me encourage you, if you don't have plans for New Year's Eve, to come join us. It's always a very lovely evening. Um, We'll do some sitting meditation, some walking meditation. We'll have two opportunities for sharing, sharing a poem, a story, a reading, an experience, um, something for the new year, (laughs) whatever is important to you. We'll have a period of refreshments about halfway through. Um, it's not necessary, but if you have any, any snacks, any goodies left over that you'd like to bring and share, that's always nice. And then about 11.30, we'll do some chanting. We'll chant the um, homage to the Buddha and the refuges and take the precepts. And then we put this nice big bell in the center of the room and ring it 108 times. And, um, you know, whoever is here at that time, which is usually 20 or 25 people, uh, we take turns. And everybody rings the bell, you know, X number of times. And then we always know from the neighborhood when it's midnight. (laughs) They let us know. Um, But we finish ringing um, 108 times. And um, and then we end and we wish everybody a happy new year. And so it's a very nice, uh, quiet, <laughs> non-rowdy way of seeing in the new year. 108 is an auspicious number. Um, I don't know the exact explanation. I have heard different ones. Uh, Some have said it comes from the Tibetan tradition, that 108 is an important number. Tom Jeff says that it's the addition of several lists, and I can't remember off the top of my head (laughs) which ones they are. But, you know, we have a lot of lists in Buddhist practice. And um, I think in the Wings to Awakening, is it? He, he, He names them. And that, that's where we get 108. So I don't know. Maybe it's superstitious. Who knows? But it's fun. It's a ritual. You know, it's a tradition. We've been doing these New Year's Eves um, since before we were in this building, maybe 10 years. And um, they're always very, very enjoyable. Anything else? Okay, well, thank you for your attention, safe travels, and have a safe New Year, whatever you do.